Hello and welcome to the Chair's Corner from the Department of Medicine at the University of North Carolina. This is our series where we discuss different genetic diseases with physicians who treat patients with these conditions. Last week we talked about cystic fibrosis and today we'll talk about a common genetic disorder known as polycystic kidney disease and we welcome Dr. Amy Model, an Associate Professor of Medicine in our Division of Nephrology. Dr. Model is an expert in genetic and kidney disease, and she treats patients at UNC who have PKD, or polycystic kidney disease. Welcome, Dr. Model. Thank you. So what is polycystic kidney disease? What is PKD? PKD is the most common genetic disease affecting the kidneys. About 1 in 400 to 1 in 1,000 live births actually will carry a PKD mutation. Some of those people may not ever have ill consequences from the genetic mutation because in some PKD patients, it's so slowly progressive that it doesn't actually manifest in disease. However, the vast majority will have serious chronic kidney disease, oftentimes ending up in end-stage kidney disease where they will require dialysis or a kidney transplant. So it's a broad spectrum of disease outcome. What does it actually look like? How do you recognize the disease? How do you diagnose polycystic kidney disease? So there are two overall methods that we can use to diagnose patients with PKD. Uh, Generally and historically, before we had all the genetic technology that we have now, uh, we would do imaging studies of the kidneys. So ultrasounds. So ultrasounds um, are usually the first line because they're inexpensive and they're benign. So it depends on how far progressed a patient is. So very early on, a patient may have no cysts whatsoever because in childhood, the vast majority of people will be completely asymptomatic. So as patients get older we require more cysts to actually diagnose a patient. So if somebody's under 30, they'll usually need to have at least three cysts in one or both kidneys, whereas somebody, as somebody gets older, it's very common to have cysts, especially in older age. So oftentimes in very elderly people into their 70s will require four cysts in each kidney to make a diagnosis. And actually these cysts can become very large and very numerous and the kidneys grow along with them. So some of these people will have kidneys the size of footballs are even larger, whereas a normal kidney is usually about the size of a fist. So we'll see large kidneys with lots of cysts. What does a cyst actually look like? It's a fluid-filled pocket, essentially. And as I said, it can form um, as part of normal physiology of aging or with chronic kidney disease of any etiology. However, these get extremely large and start to occupy a lot of the space of the healthy kidney tissue. And it's thought that this is why people develop worsening chronic kidney disease. That the cysts, these fluid-filled balls, grow in size and actually compress normal, otherwise normal kidney tissue and uh, make it so the kidneys don't function 
as well over the course of time. Correct. There are two genetic forms of polycystic kidney disease. There are more, actually, but of the adult form of polycystic kidney disease, there are two genetic mutations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we're specifically talking about autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. So autosomal dominant diseases are passed on uh, through the generations, but all you need is one abnormal genetic mutation in order to actually have the disease. So it doesn't skip generations. Anyone who has the genetic mutation will have the disease. Although the disease can be substantially variable from individual or from one family to the next. Yeah, so it's partly dependent on the severity of the mutation. So some mutations will just result in an abnormality of function of the protein which the gene codes for. But in some people, the gene is completely absent. It's just not translated at all. Um, And those people typically will have more severe disease. So earlier onset, more rapid progression of their kidney disease, um, sometimes more symptoms associated with it. The word choice that you have been using and that's in the literature and sometimes is confusing to patients is ADPKD which is autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. And that's what you have just been describing with really a different kind of disease process from one individual to the other, depending upon the uh, severity of the genetic mutation. Yes, but it's also important to note that there is variability even within a single family, all of whom will obviously carry the same mutation. Um, So there are other modifying genes and there are environmental factors that will also potentially influence how early a patient presents symptomatically with their disease and how rapidly it progresses. Unfortunately, we don't really know Um, what a lot of these genetic modifiers are with regards to environmental factors. uh, Blood pressure is probably the most important issue that can luckily be modified. But if if we can bring that blood pressure down, we find that it progresses much more slowly. So you're trying to avoid hypertension in this population from an early age and and throughout life. Correct. So, you know, if we have a family with PKD and there is a potentially affected child, we will recommend that they get screened for their blood pressure. And and some nephrologists will even recommend uh, yearly urinalyses to detect proteinuria, so leakage of protein into the urine, or hematuria, blood in the urine. How does a patient find out if they have polycystic kidney disease if, they're, if, they're, if there's no clear family history? So usually they will just present symptomatically. We don't typically screen for this disease because it is a rare disease. Um, So some patients will develop pain, typically flank pain or pain in their back. 
I've had patients who've gone to the emergency room for this and a CT scan is done and then they see all these cysts and these large kidneys and they're diagnosed radiologically. Other patients may have some hematuria. Blood um, in the urine. Correct. And then uh, yet other patients may find that they have abnormal kidney function on just routine screening with their doctors. And when we do an ultrasound, which is pretty typical to evaluate whether, whether there are structural abnormalities contributing to it, then we'll see the cysts as well. Most patients will know, though, that they have a family history of polycystic kidney disease in a mom or a dad or a, some portion of the family. And that can at least raise that possibility of polycystic kidney disease. But it's interesting that so many patients find out by chance. It's true. And actually, about 10% of mutations are spontaneous. So when an embryo is forming, uh, there can be just random spontaneous mutations that occur. And so a patient can actually be the first person in their family to manifest with this particular disease. Help us understand what autosomal dominant really means and how the disease would be passed from generation to generation. So autosomal dominant is a major mutation in an important gene that means that if you have that mutation, then you will have symptomatic disease. And your offspring... Your children have a chance of getting the disease as well. So since we give one copy of each of our genes to our children, all of the children will have a 50% chance of having the mutation. How does a child find out or how does a parent determine if their child has polycystic kidney disease? And when do the parents really need to know? So the vast majority of people will not have any ill consequences of this disease until they're at least into young adulthood. So we typically don't recommend screening of children. Some parents choose to know, in which case we can do a genetic test if the mutation is already known within that family. Um, if it's not, there are other approaches that we can take to try and define what the mutation is so that we can test family members. Um, but typically, we do not recommend it because it can potentially affect the children in terms of uh, anxiety uh, and the entire family, quite frankly. And it can also potentially affect insurability. Uh, and so, in general, we don't recommend that. What you would recommend is that the child go to their pediatrician and make sure that their blood pressures are okay. Right. At least on an annual basis, I would say they should have a blood pressure checked and possibly even a urinalysis. A urinalysis looking for protein in the urine or perhaps blood, but mostly protein. Right, right. And actually, protein in the urine is another factor that we can modify to some extent. So the more proteinuria that a patient has, generally the worse progression they have, the more rapid progression of their chronic kidney disease. And there are medications that we can use to 
try to minimize the amount of proteinuria. And these medications are also blood pressure medicines. Uh, and so they actually impact both of these important factors. There are multiple types of polycystic kidney disease. And there are differences in the genetic transmission or how an individual passes an abnormal gene from one generation to the next. The most common form of polycystic kidney disease is autosomal dominant or ADPKD, but there are recessive forms of polycystic kidney disease also, instead of dominant, recessive. Can you describe those to us as well, please? So autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, if a person has the mutation, then they will manifest with the disease. Whereas autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease is very different. So uh, you actually need to have two copies of a gene. So you have to have a mom and a dad who are both carriers of these genetic mutations. So they're not affected with this disease, but if they happen to pass on the mutated form of this gene to their offspring and they and that offspring gets both copies, then they will have the disease. And that is a very different disease from ADPKD. Autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease is one that we see predominantly in childhood. Which is more common, autosomal dominant or the recessive variant? Autosomal dominant is by far more common. It's just a more common disease. ADPKD is more common than autosomal recessive PKD by, by a lot. By a lot, and, and that's really because of the way it's transmitted. Two genes rather than just one. Correct. Or two abnormal genes rather than one abnormal gene. It's right. easier to transfer one abnormal gene than require both a mom and a dad to pass along an abnormal gene. That is right. Let's, so let's talk a little bit about treatment. You've already said some approaches uh, make sure that hypertension is well controlled, get that blood pressure down, and then if there is protein in the urine, try to lower that amount of protein, again, by using uh, drugs that modify blood pressure that also can modify the amount of protein in the urine. Right. So there's a class of medicines called renin-angiotensin inhibitors, which basically inhibit a pathway of hormones that can play a significant role in the progression of hypertension and proteinuria. And so with these medications, it can hit both of these factors. Are there treatments that are specifically designed at the underlying cause of polycystic kidney disease? Or are there treatments available that decrease the size of cysts or their growth? So, you know, it's interesting because there's specifically one class of medicine, uh, which are antidiuretic hormone antagonists, um, which... Whoa, wait a minute. That sounds complicated. Antidiuretic hormone ADH inhibitors. Yes. So... 
ADPKD, or autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, is actually an abnormality in a protein which signals the cell how to react to its external environment. Um, it's actually located on something called a cilia, and so ADPKD is what we call a ciliopathy. Cilia are these finger-like projections emanating from a cell into its environment so that it can sense what's happening in that environment. And so these particular cilia are located on cells which line the tubules which collect the urine once it's filtered within the kidney. So the mutation that patients uh, with ADPKD carry actually interferes with a pathway uh, located within the cilia to be able to respond to the environment within the tubules that allow urine to flow. And there's actually a hormone called antidiuretic hormone, um, or ADH, which actually can cause further problems. So when we inhibit or prevent this ADH hormone from acting, it actually can slow the progression of this disease. And recently, actually just in May of 2018, a drug that does this very thing was recently approved by the FDA, and it's called Genarc. The one issue with this medication, however, is it does have a lot of negative side effects. It can cause elevations in the liver enzymes, which potentially can lead to liver damage. But it's also really hard to tolerate because one of the functions of antidiuretic hormone is to allow the absorption of water from the urinary tract. So by inhibiting it, all of the water that a person drinks is excreted in the urine. And so people have what we call polyuria. They have excess volumes and frequency of urination. And because of this, they can get dehydrated very easily. So patients have to drink a lot of water and they have to go to the bathroom a lot, which can really interfere with their quality of life, particularly at night when they're trying to sleep. The kidney filters about 180 quarts of blood a day. And you know you don't urinate 180 quarts of blood a day. And the reason why you don't is that you have tremendous absorptive capacity in kidneys that decrease the amount of urine to about one and a half to two and a half quarts of, of urine a day. One of the ways that the kidney holds on to water is through this hormone ADH. And what you're describing is the inhibition of ADH that now causes the an incredible amount of urination that requires uh, a lot of drinking of water just to keep up. Right. And actually in the trials about... 25% of participants could not even tolerate it to continue treatment with the drug. It does apparently work to a certain extent, however. It does. So part of the trials for PKD generally involve serial imaging, so repeated ultrasounds or MRIs to look at the volume occupied by the cysts. And it does appear to 
to decrease the rate of growth of these cysts. And it even has some signals wherein it slows the rate of progression of kidney disease, but the rate at which it slows it is fairly mild. So typically somebody would have to take the drug for um, at least 10 years to delay their progression to kidney failure by one year. In other words, this drug may work. It has real side effects, mostly an inability to sleep because you're drinking water so much. And you have to take it for a long period of time in order for an effect really to be observed. Would you then recommend anybody taking this drug? I think that... Uh, each patient has to have that conversation with their nephrologist and have a serious discussion about the downsides of this drug. And, you know, some people have very rapid progression of disease and may want to try it. Uh, so I think it just has to be individualized according to the patient. Patients with polycystic kidney disease can have disease outside of their kidneys. Where else can it be? Right. So most people will actually also have cysts in their livers. But interestingly, those cysts actually don't seem to cause a problem. There is generally not progressive uh, liver disease in these patients. They can also have cysts in their pancreas. Uh, women can have cysts in their ovaries. There are even cysts in the part of the reproductive system of men. There's also some other ways that it can impact other organ systems. For instance, many people will have mitral valve prolapse. So this is just an abnormality in the way one of the heart valves closes, which we used to treat uh, with antibiotics prophylactically for patients who were undergoing uh, dental procedures or invasive procedures, but we've now found out that we don't need to do that. And it's generally thought to be a pretty benign abnormality, and, and there's really no long-term ill consequences from that. Another one that, that can potentially have a major consequence is, is we can see brain aneurysms in some people. Interestingly, it tends to, to follow within families. So when I have a patient who's father or grandparent might have had a brain aneurysm, I will seriously discuss potential screening with brain MRIs to look for it. It's a complicated issue, however, because there's not a lot that we can do about it, but it is something that should be discussed with each patient. When a patient with PKD comes to visit you and you're seeing them in clinic, what are you looking for? What's the What do you do in one of those clinic visits? So I am asking the patient about any symptoms they may have from their PKD. So if they're having any flank pain. Because of size. Because of the size of the cysts, right. And sometimes these cysts actually can rupture and, and cause significant pain. And if it's actually a blood-filled cyst, which in and of itself is benign, but if it happens to be blood-filled and it ruptures, patients can have serious uh, hematuria, blood in their urine that they can visibly see when they urinate. And, and that can be very disconcerting to patients. It's actually generally 
not concerning. Um, Except usually, it hurts. It does hurt. It does hurt. That's very true. Um, but it, it, you know, patients' main worry is that they're they're going to bleed seriously. But it's it doesn't take much blood to you know turn the whole toilet bowl red. So it's generally very self limited. And I just ask patients to let me know if it doesn't start to clear up over the course of a couple of days. So thinking about symptoms, um, talking about polyuria. So polyuria is again when somebody has to go to the bathroom a lot. So this is something that can sometimes uh, cause problems, particularly at night if a patient has to go to the bathroom a lot, polycystic kidney disease. One of the first manifestations can sometimes be just having to go to the bathroom a lot because it impacts the ability to concentrate or hold on to the water um, in the kidney. And then I'm also monitoring them with labs. So I'm following their kidney function with what we call a serum creatinine. And I'm also looking at their urine to determine how much protein there is. And I'll generally quantify precisely how much that is. And I'll follow that on an annual basis because, as we said before, you know, the more protein a patient has in their urine, the worse the prognosis. And there are things that we can do about that. You also want to make sure that their blood pressure is under good control. Absolutely. That's actually the most important thing that we do in clinic. You've described a cyst that bleeds. Cysts can also get infected. Uh, That doesn't happen commonly, but when it does happen, it's a real concern. That is a concern. How do you treat an infected cyst? Right. So when a urinary tract infection, so an infection that can occur anywhere within the urinary tract from the urethra to the bladder all the way up to the kidneys. When it occurs in the kidney itself, like when a person has an infected cyst, we call that pyelonephritis. And that's a more serious infection than if somebody just has an infection in their bladder. Um, And there are specific antibiotics that we would want to use that can penetrate that cyst. So sometimes antibiotics can't get into the cyst like it needs to in order to treat the infection. Um, Oftentimes we can do this with oral drugs at home, but sometimes patients need to be hospitalized. What other kind of lifestyle changes would you suggest a patient do that improves their long-term outlook? Right. So there's no specific diet that a patient necessarily needs to follow, although we always recommend a healthy diet, um, fruits, vegetables, lean meats, etc. You know, some investigated looking at restricting how much protein a patient consumes, and it's not clear whether that helps. But typically, we will just recommend that patients consume the Um, recommended daily protein intake, which is about 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. I also tell all of my patients that they should get regular exercise because one of the consequences of having chronic kidney disease of any cause is that patients are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, And so regular exercise and good nutrition is critical for this. Healthy lifestyle. That's right. Dr. Model, thank you so much for being here today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in. Next time, we'll be talking with Dr. Raj Kasturi about hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia 
HHT, a genetic disease that affects blood vessels, you can subscribe to the Chair's Corner on iTunes, SoundCloud, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.